Hello, everyone. How are you? My name is Perry Rosopoulos. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And today we're working with The Art of Living by Epictetus, translated by Sharon LaBelle. I know I've mentioned this before. This is a great translation of what I think is like one of the best philosophy books uh, in terms of just, you know, if you want to establish a practice of waking up and reading a little bit of philosophy to encourage you, reading a little bit of philosophy to get your day started, or maybe the middle of the day or the end of the day, whatever, this book is great for it for a number of reasons. All right, so we're keeping in mind this was uh, this is written by his student, Arian. I think mostly as a result of the second part of Epictetus's lectures, where he'd open the floor and his students would provide questions and he'd try to answer them, right? Using philosophy, of course, for him very much so as a form of therapy. He even, as I said, I think, called his school a hospital, right? It was a place where people would go if they were suffering from anxiety or stress or, you know, an inability to create realistic expectations. These are all things philosophy can help us with, among many others. And today, you know, I think for this book, too, you can kind of go to the beginning and each section is kind of is viewed as a chapter. So you have these great titles. And I wanted to do something today and just get myself reading about honesty and truth. Because, you know, the last episode I recorded, I think I'm I'm never really sure if I published them in order necessarily. But the, one of the episodes I recorded recently, some of the reading I did recently revolved around the stories we tell ourselves. And I think to a large extent that for me connects to honesty. And I, I really think Epictetus offers something here even just in the title that really hits home with that. So the title of the section is self-mastery depends on self-honesty. Even that one line we could talk about for 20 minutes and we won't, I'll share the other part. But ultimately self-mastery was the aim, right? One of the main aims of philosophy as the art of living in the ancient world. And that was achieved through prosike, which meant like attention to yourself. So we needed practices to, you know, to cultivate that attention, that ability to pay attention, and the practices themselves had to be habits. So it wasn't just, you know, necessarily or it really sort of shouldn't be this reliance on the episodic, right? So we shouldn't just expect that we'll keep living and just know things and that will change in the direction of virtue, that will change in a way that's best for us. We need to pay attention to these things. We need to pay attention to our aims in terms of how we want to develop. We need to pay attention to our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, so we can guide that development. We have to work on being able to control our mental state, our physical state, our emotional state, and all that leads to goodness, right? We have to make sure. I mean, we could have a lot of different arguments on whether or not humans are naturally good or evil or whatever, but ultimately the ancient philosophers would say, we need to practice attention, attention to our souls which is the most important part of who we are, right? Mind, body, soul, the soul was the most important. So that self-mastery, I think here, as it is already, you know, as he's saying, as the first part of this, is really important. It's not, I don't think necessarily, I would say it's not the only aim of philosophy as the art of living, but it is a very important one. So this idea of mastering the self, sort of cultivating positive senses of control over oneself, let's say even self-governance, right, relies on self-honesty. And this even goes to like that old sort of, uh, a very old Delphic kind of uh, Oracle of Delphi statement, right? Know thyself, know yourself. But I think a lot of times we forget, and this is something that Michel Foucault elaborates on really nicely, that know yourself implied care for yourself, Right. And even we could say that know yourself was at the service 
of caring for yourself, or let's say better sentence, to know yourself, to cultivate self-knowledge was in service of caring for yourself. And I also think that to an extent we could say self-mastery and self-care are very similar ideas, right? Because to care for yourself would mean you work with the, let's say, the falsehoods, the false things that you engage with to establish within yourself that these views are false. You work on the emotions that are unhealthy for you, that are unhelpful, that again might be untrue. And you say, well, how do I work with these? How do I acknowledge them? How do I become aware of them? How do I walk alongside them? How do I maybe eventually work to prevent them? Where do they come from, right? That goes into more self-knowledge in the service of the self-mastery, which is how do I react, for examples, right? So self-honesty, self-mastery, self-knowledge, self-care, all these ideas I think connect really nicely. And again, to say it depends on self-honesty means self-honesty serves self-mastery, the same way self-knowledge serves self-care. All right, so getting to know ourselves, we could even, I would even argue that to an extent if we're doing it habitually, we're asking questions, we have a practice around it, and our aim is growth, working to know ourselves, which might even be as simple as diving into your memories, right? Which might even, I think even more simple than that, but really powerful too, is just checking in with yourself on a daily basis. How am I doing? How am I, you know, how, how, what are my thoughts right now? What are my feelings right now? How does my body feel right now? What's good? What could be better? Why? Right? And then we, we sort of, once again, move towards this conception of self-knowledge working to serve self-care, right? Once again, self-care is to care for that element within us, which is the soul, right? And we defined the soul a couple episodes ago. So we have to work on our beliefs. We have to work on our perceptions. We have to work on our choices. And to move into action too is a really important aspect of philosophy. That really, I think that's when we start getting self-mastery started. Because I, I, gen I generally would say that actions are easier to control than thoughts and feelings. So if we can maybe start there, we start being able to be disciplined in new ways, that'll really give us freedom potentially from some old and or even some new, right, um, things that plague us, that bother us. So what should we do first? For Epictetus, we should know first who you are and what you're capable of. Just as nothing great is created instantly, the same goes for the perfecting of our talents and aptitudes. Right? One of my favorite things to say is that I'm very good at losing things. So obviously losing things is not something you want to be good at. And it's kind of like a way to add comedy to this thing that I'm trying to work on. Right, And I only mention that because we have to know what we're good at, and that's a question and what we're bad at. And th these are questions that people typically get nervous about. I think for myself, and I know others would say they're the same, of course, on everybody, right? But a lot of times we're better at saying what we're bad at than what we're good at. There's no reason for that. It's not arrogant to say you're good at something if there's a lot of evidence to, you know, to support that claim. So I lose my keys constantly. I'm great at it. I'm very good at it. I spent most of my 20s looking for my car keys. Excellent at losing the keys. But likewise, I can then flip that and I should be able to say what else I'm good at, right? There were, that would be things that, you know, I'm actually good at. So sitting down and at the very least being honest with ourselves, you don't have to walk around telling people what you're good at, right? Necessarily, although maybe not a bad idea in some cases. Um, sit down, right? What are, you, what are your skills? What are you capable of at the moment? And keep in mind, it's at the moment because the next line of this is saying nothing is great, it's created instantly, right? 
which is to say we can move towards it and it just takes some time. Another great quote from Epictetus is like, you want peace in life? That takes work. Right? And we could argue once again, maybe we're not naturally at peace. Or maybe we are and it gets easily tampered with. Either way, I agree wholeheartedly that to be peaceful in life requires some type of work. And what kind of work? We're talking about work on the soul. Right? We're talking about these types of ideas where we ask ourselves questions and once again, maybe have a, a self-writing practice. You want a peaceful life? Don't just expect one. And that's internal or external. Right? There's Once again, you know, there's that great Roman line, if you want peace, prepare for war. There's a reason for that. That's sort of what Epictetus is saying, I think. Like that work is preparation. Sharpening your sword of reason, maybe is how Marcus Aurelius would put it. So know already is, you know, how, how sharp is the sword? And let's even say we have multiple swords, right? Your sword of confidence might be very sharp, but your sword of balance might be very dull. So know what's going on. Know what you're good at. You're good at being confident. You're bad at creating balance. Okay. Start working on it. We are always learning, always growing. It is right to accept challenges. So we're, I love this because we're already doing it. And I agree with this too. Same thing with Heraclitus, right? You know, for him, change is the only constant. You can never step in the same river twice. Well, that means we're already moving in a direction. So if we're always learning, we're always growing, all we need to do is direct that. How do we do that? Well, that's where I think the art in the art of living comes in. That, that, that movement towards creation, towards certain new habits, certain new aims, right? It is right to accept challenges. And that's a great question too. When is the last time you accepted a challenge? How challenging is your daily life? Challenges here are being portrayed in a positive light, which I think a lot of times they are. Even things, even challenges that don't necessarily connect to a clear sense of purpose can sometimes be good for their own sake because you're getting good at being bad at something. You're getting good at being new at something. Those are things that are, you know, those are things that make tasks challenging. For Simone Veil too, as we said, right? Paying 15 minutes of real attention, authentic, undistracted attention, even for a task that let's say you don't complete or that you don't even understand, there's something valuable in the attention in and of itself. You're training a capacity. And that's not even, I don't think how she would justify it. I'm learning more about, about her thinking. But she would say there's something, I think, divine even, it's something naturally human in that moment or those moments of paying attention that we need to take seriously and appreciate. So going back to Epictetus, this is how we progress to the next level of intellectual, physical, or moral development. Again, self-care, right? Still, don't kid yourself. If you try to be something or someone you are not, you belittle your true self and end up not developing in those areas that you would have excelled at quite naturally. So this is great because it reminds me of Ikigai, right? So Ikigai is a piece of Japanese philosophy that sort of translates, I think, roughly to reason for being. And what we want to examine there is we want to think about what we love, what we think the world needs, what we can be paid for, and what we're good at. So it asks us to think about what Epictetus is saying here. Because if you're really good with numbers and you don't like public speaking and you're trying to teach English 
or you're very good at reading and you're trying to be in a, uh, and then good at reading and like that's your strongest thing and writing and those types of like literacy things and then you're, you're trying to be an accountant and you're really bad at numbers or bad with not bad at numbers right that's evidence of how good i am with numbers and you're really bad with numbers you're going to sort of feel maybe too challenged this is very profoundly psychological too, right? This idea of like the zone of, I think I'm getting this right, like the zone of proximal development, right? You want to be challenged enough that you're engaged, but not so challenged that you're just all the time dismayed, all the time discouraged. So this is, you know, a great piece also to maybe think about, and we're going to get into the next line, I think beautifully so here, right? Think about like, you know, are you in the right career? Are you, if you're a student, are you pursuing the right things? Think about Ikigai. Think about what Epictetus is offering here. Right? And I, I think for this, uh, as we often do, we're getting more than one sort of general theme from this short section. So let's finish up here. He says, within the divine order, which the Stoics really believed in that, right, that that exists. You might disagree. I don't know where I stand on that. Uh, we each have our own special calling. That I like a lot, right? And this, is a, this, this one line is a great reminder for me, right? There's a sense for me that when I'm engaging with philosophy in these ways, right? And in really any other context too, when I can use my skills and my ideas to help people, which is some, you know, some parts of what I get to do luckily at my new job, which has been really fulfilling. Th there have been moments where I've gotten to use this stuff very clearly. I'm like, oh, this reminds me of something. And I'll maybe even, I actually recently gave someone at work a copy of Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. Uh, he seemed to appreciate it because we were just talking about some stuff. I was like, oh, you would love this. So that was great. But ultimately, we all have a special calling for Epictetus. And it's the only it's the only thing that will sort of give us the best life, right? So it's not to say that maybe you miss your calling, your life will be terrible. It's not, I don't think he's saying that, right? But I think what he's saying is you have to listen for that call. And I think a part of that is to examine what he's asking us to examine here, right? And what, and what moments are you challenged? What moments help you? you know, grow when you reflect on them. How are you growing? Right? Who are you is the start of this. And that requires that self-honesty, right? What are your skills? What are your aptitudes? What are your desires? What are you drawn to? Right? And how are you drawn to it? Does it feel natural? Does it feel forced? These are really important questions, right? To establish your calling. So listen to yours and follow it faithfully. So maybe you want to establish your calling. Think about Ikigai. Think about some of these other considerations. Maybe you feel like you have your calling already in life and you are living it and you are pursuing it. Then it maybe becomes a conversation in a positive sense, right? How have I been faithful to that? How have I been faithful to what I think of as my calling? And I also think sometimes, you know, it takes confidence even to say this is my calling. The Stoics, as I may have mentioned already, always wanted us, you know, wanted us to act under reserve. So we had to acknowledge that it was never, you know, we're never alone in the universe. So I don't think that necessarily detracts from confidence. It just asks you to be aware, like maybe, you know, you're someone who, like the Stoics, believes in, in fortune or luck. Again, like the Stoics in quotes, right? Not everyone had the same opinion on that. But generally speaking, for the Stoic school of philosophy, or maybe you're someone like the Stoics too, who believes in a higher power. We can be co-creators with these things, right? We can engage with luck and with a higher power and still have some degree of choice. I still have some degree, you know, where we could take ownership over this idea that I know what my calling is. Um, let's say if, if you believe in a higher power, maybe you could say you're doing God's work when you're doing what you do. That's a very empowering feeling, right? The word vocation comes to mind here as well for me. And I'll end on this note. 
the word vocation that someone we may be familiar with, right? It's kind of like your calling in life. Well, the word vocation comes from the Latin. I think it's vocare, which means to call. So by asking these questions, we're almost, I think, summoning a voice within ourselves. It's very Socratic, right? The daimon, like, like daimon? I've never pronounced that word correctly. It's like your inner creator your, or your inner creative element, right? And well, what's that creative element doing? It's ultimately, it's making you, right? So by asking these questions, by examining Ikigai a little bit, you might find your calling and or you might find ways to pursue your calling more faithfully. Hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you soon.